0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and our special guest Shohei Otani. No, not really. We, we, oh, you did get him. I got okay. him. He
2: says he's a few minutes late. He'll All he'll he'll, right. he'll be soon. here. He'll be here in about ten minutes. So.
0: He's uh he's deferring his uh, appearance on our show until a later date. Uh, yeah, so that, that happened. Uh seems like people are talking about that, so we have to. We can't not talk about Otani. He's, he's not, obviously, a prospect. Barely ever was, but we did claim him for a while. Um, our top 100 draft prospects list will be dropping almost in a matter of hours now, uh, as we record on Tuesday. That thing's coming out Wednesday night, Thursday morning. You'll be able to check it out on mlb.com slash pipeline, mlb.com slash draft. It'll be all over the site, uh, the 2024 draft class. And we're going to talk, uh, we'll give you a little preview of that without giving away too much. And uh, then we're going to talk about some recent trades that went down. We, uh, I guess the, the biggest news at the winter meetings last week, we were waiting for a couple of things. We're waiting for to find out where Otani was going and we we're waiting for the Juan Soto trade. That happened um, with the Padres sending Juan Soto to the Yankees, a couple of prospects involved there and Randy Vasquez and Drew Thorpe. We'll talk about that deal. We'll talk about another deal that the Yankees were involved in and was also related to Shohei Otani as the Dodgers had to clear some 40 man space, uh, traded Victor Gonzalez and Orbit Vivas to the Yankees for Trey Sweeney. Break that down, and uh, well, another big thing last week at the winter meetings was the Rule Five Draft. John will give us some picks to click, picks to stick, stick. I guess, right? I guess they probably need to click in order to stick these picks. All right, and uh, we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. All right, Otani. We 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 had him back in 2018 when he came over from Japan. He qualified for our rankings lists, and so he was the number one prospect on the 2018 preseason top 100 prospects list. Uh, much to Jim's chagrin, Jim was not a believer. I know.
2: It was not chagrin. <laughs> it was not chagrin. <laughs> I, well, it's <laughs> funny I, I looked at clip It was like funny Where I like I guess I Yeah I, I, I was crazy I, I, I was I was just stumping For Ronald Acuna No Jr.
0: no You were Acuna You were Jr. stumping For Vlad, Vlad.
2: The, the crazy
0: Yeah yeah
2: Oh it was Vlad You're right Well I, I feel good About that too I was putting yes. Vlad In the Hall of Fame With his dad But um You know it's, it's funny I still think about How I had to write The Otani Scouting report And it Because we We do this every once in a while We'll write the scouting report for like a major guy when we know he's coming over. So it can go up immediately and you try not to go crazy. Like I, I think Jonathan, and I, I think I may be slightly more generous on grades than you, but we both try to not be throwing sevens and eights all over the place. <laughs> but I, can, can I read my scouting grades? Which, which sounded ridiculous, right? This can you do it in like a dramatic
0: voiceover voice?
2: <laughs> yes. Would you like, would you like hitting or pitching first? Hit. Okay, here we go.
0: Hit. 50
2: power 70 run 65 arm 80 field 50 um and that's like a pretty good report i mean pretty like strong report and it was light and i'm not gonna do the pitching dramatically but i went 80 fastball 65 slider 50 curve 65 splitter 50 change 50 control i went 70 as a pitcher and 60 as a hitter and i feel like i was light on him um, which is kind of funny to think about. But you know what else is funny to think about? Do you remember when he came over here and he struggled much like a different type of player like Ichiro and you had everybody like, oh man, I don't know if this is really going to work. Like, what, what's all the fuss about? Like, I don't know how good this guy is. And he's only the best baseball player ever because nobody's done what he's done. But but, um, but yeah, so I, I guess I should have thrown out more sevens and eights, I guess.
1: I mean, you do like kind of, Going crazy on those grades, you know, Jason Dominguez is Mickey Mantle and
2: Well, that wasn't my comp. I was sure. just reporting what others said. So
1: uh-huh. um
2: And don't and don't sell him short, he's a combination of Mickey Mantle, Bo Jackson, and Mike Trout. Oh you didn't let me finish.
1: Um but yes. Uh but yeah, no, Atani we've never seen anything like it. And I'd be very curious to see what happens, you know, if and when he gets back to the mound and uh, that contract and the deferrals and all that it's just been it has been the talk of everything probably what jason from the winter meetings when we were still there and they were excited, sort of like is it going to happen when we're still there and like is it going to happen the next day is he on a plane is he you know and it's just uh, he has captured the attention of the baseball world for for quite some time until he finally made the decision to sign with the dodgers uh i, I guess partially because of our farm system ranking so there you have it we deserve some credit. You're welcome, Dodgers.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, we were uh, we we're all awaiting our one 700th cut from uh, Mr. Ozan. Well, he he, well, when he met with the Dodgers, he was inquiring about the strength of their farm system, and I, I believe it was. Tom Verducci's story that his the, the lead of his story was talking about the fact that while well, the Dodgers farm system was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the what was it fifth sixth compared to the uh, more middle of the pack uh, Blue Jays farm so clearly the deciding factor and uh, yeah we're I guess when uh, Shohei joins us here in what about five minutes uh, we'll ask him about our our cuts deferred um all right let's move on to our first non-show hey topic the top 100 draft prospects list for 2024 is coming your way very soon uh in fact depending on when you're listening to this might be out already uh we put this out in december each year for the following year uh We put out a top 100, then we expand it in April to 150, in May to 200, and in June to 250. Uh, So this is our first version. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves over time. And I have a feeling that this one might, I I think it's gonna have more changes between now and the final product in in June than last year's at the top.
1: Is Is that safe to say? I think I would say that there's a chance for there to be more changes at the top. Uh, although, you know, if you look at last year's, uh, you know, top five at this time, it was Dylan Cruz, Chase Dolander, Wyatt Langford, Paul Skeens, and Jacob Gonzalez. Uh, and so that did change somewhat, you know, the high schoolers who were next on, on, on the top 10, Max Clark and Walker Jenkins ended up in the top five to make that ridiculous quintet. Uh that we saw go at the top of the the draft in July. But so I guess it wasn't like a huge, like a mark change. I think this group, because there, it, it's uncertain, there's no clear cut top, but there are some guys with track record. Uh, it's, it, it could move, I think, based on how guys perform, uh, especially I think if some of the, it's hitting heavy and without, you know, diving too deep or giving away too many secrets. So if some of the pitchers sort of make steps forward, they could, they could jump up. But I, 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 think you're right to an extent, although I think the, the the college bats will probably come out and perform and be in the same kind of neck of the draft rankings. Jim, what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I do think it's volatile for a number of reasons. I, I don't think it's, you know, last year we, we repeatedly talked about how you had five guys who, were legitimate number 1 picks uh in any draft and any of those guys like if Walker Jenkins who went 5th among them last year was in this year's draft he'd be the clear number 1 i think right now um but you have a it's, a it's an interesting mix of a lot of the best college bats don't play premium positions a lot of the better college premium position players have swing and miss or chase issues they're going to have to solve and a lot of the best pitchers are more extreme than usual, it feels, in terms of stuff versus polish, where you have guys with big-time stuff, but a lot of questions about strike throwing and are they a starter reliever? So I do I do agree 100%. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. You know, We're not going to give away where anybody's ranked quite yet. We'll talk about that next week. But I could see it being a big shakeup, not just the top five, but I could see the top 20 looking a lot different when we start really getting into this next April, May, and June leading up to the July and draft. without
0: getting into any details, the, the top of the list is going to be very college-heavy, more so than we've seen in, in quite a while. Um, and I think you'll, you'll get a, a hint of that as we go through the top tools in this year's draft class. Let's start uh, on the hitting side. Let's start with uh, what I guess what you'd probably say is the most important tool. Uh, or the one that correlates most closely to to rankings, typically, the hit tool. Uh, who has the best hit tool
1: in this year's draft class? That's JJ Weatherholt uh, from West Virginia, Pittsburgh area kid. You know, I'm I'm a homer, so uh, happy to talk about him. But uh, put his put his name on the map. I mean, he's hit really since he got to West Virginia, but last year uh, he. Hit 449 to to lead all Division One hitters. Uh, more walks than strikeouts. Doesn't uh, doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, 22 strikeouts last year and 268 plate appearances. Had a 1300 OPS. Also hit on the Cape. Uh, you know, there's, there's I don't want to say question about impact. We don't know how much power he's going to have. He Hit 16 homers at West Virginia last year. And that's the one question, I guess, that needs to be answered. But in terms of pure hit tool, the bat-to-ball skills are unbelievable, and he will impact the ball uh, enough that even if it's average power, it's still going to be very good and uh, kind of see what position he ends up playing. He'll be playing shortstop this year, and that could you know, raise his profile if he shows that he can play there. But even if he ends up at second base where he played last year, that that bat is going to play, and uh you know, is as one of the best pure bats I think that we've had uh, in in a while.
0: Yeah, just a, a little bit of perspective on the grade, and with the caveat that grades do vary, have varied uh, over the course of the past decade since we've been giving them out. Um, but there have only been two seventy hit tools uh, given to a draft prospect in the past decade, and each of them came. Uh, they came in the past two years: Jamar Johnson, 2022, and Dylan Cruz last year. All right, you guys mm, get some, that's it. That's it. Giving these things out willy nilly, I'd probably get a 65 hit tool if I came out this year. No. All right.
1: No, I'm not going to go about right. six.
0: Let's let's go to the power tool. Who's uh, who's this year's biggest popper?
2: That would be Nick Kurtz of, of wake forest. I mean, he's hit 37 homers in two college seasons. He slugged 700 at, uh, at wake forest, which interestingly originally recruited him as a, as a left-handed pitcher uh, before he became a, a first baseman. It's huge raw power to all fields and it translates in games. He's got you know, real quick swing, uh, good strength. His, his, he's a left-handed hitter that the, the strokes designed to, to launch balls in the air, but he's not one of these one dimensional guys. Like I think you could argue he might be the second best hitter in terms of hitting ability in the draft behind JJ Weatherhold. I mean, he, he has no real weakness. He hits lefties, he hits righties. He's successful against all types of pitching, controls the strike zone, walks he strikes out. There's no real holes on, you know, covers the plate. Well hits the ball hard all over the ballpark. So I, you know, I, I know I'm we're both Mr. Anti-Comp, but I got a, uh, a Jim Tomey comp on Nick Kurtz. Wow. Jim Tomey with defensive value because he's a good first baseman. So um, I, I think he's – you know, I, I think the other guy who's up there is, is since we are talking about Shohei, the, the college version, college's best two-way player, Jack Caglione at, at Florida, has comparable raw power, but I think Kurtz is a better hitter and will get to a little bit more of it than, than Caglione will. Caglione led the nation in home runs last year as Florida went to the College World Series Finals. Only the uh,
0: fourth sixty-five power grade that's been given out since twenty fifteen. Uh, who, off the top of your head, you guys, remember? Jack Haglion uh, got one. one. Oh, we're ta-
1: well, prior not, to prior prior this future.
0: year. <laughs> uh, sorry, prior to this year. Uh, Spencer Torkelson. Torkelson is one.
1: Yeah, I would have guessed that.
0: There was one last year. Wyatt Langford. Wyatt Langford and uh 2022 Jacob Berry. Oof. I was Oof. a little high on that. <laughs> all right. Let's go arm. No, no. Let's go run.
1: Yeah, I figured we'd
0: I'm tired. I don't want to go run.
1: <laughs> Very nicely done. So I'll, I'll go I'll go. go I'll go run. We all know how much I love to run. But uh Austin Overn at Southern Cal uh is the guy who has stood out the most, put a 75 on him. There were some scouts who put an eight on him and kind of tried to find a tiny bit of middle ground. It's splitting hairs a little bit, but the the speed is absolutely ridiculous. And he's still learning how to use it. I mean, he stole stole 16 bases last year, uh, but also had 14 triples uh, for USC uh, that helped him end up with a 932 OPS. Uh, he is definitely a sort of table setter type. Uh, there's a little impact in there, but the speed is really the the, the thing. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about how that speed plays elsewhere in a little bit.
0: All right now let's go arm best arm in the 2024 draft class belongs to.
2: I feel like Jonathan in this year's draft catching is kind of thin, sure. um, especially on the high school side. We have one catcher on the top 100 who comes from the prep ranks. That's Kate Aaron Beattie from Tomball, Texas. Um, and you know he stands out. He's got a big time arm. It's plus plus arm strength. It plays well behind the plate. Um, he also has a lot of raw power. I think he's probably more of a second round pick than a first round pick. But it, when you talk about best arms in this draft for position players, he he comes up almost immediately in the discussion. And I don't think there's any question when you look at the catchers in this draft that that his arm stands out easily the most. It, it's a legit plus plus
0: arm. All right, first player named as we go through the best tools in the draft class. Uh, how about the best fielder in the draft class? Yeah,
1: you know, we'll go back to Austin Overn uh, at Southern Cal. I mean, and it's not just his ability to you know outrun mistakes or use that you know top of the scale speed. Uh, he combines the speed with really good instincts and reads and routes. He's going to play center field for a very very long time. Uh, so that you know, when you have that combination already before he's even entered pro ball, that that puts him a, a little bit of, uh, ahead. Uh, there are some other guys who are interesting, but you know, Jim and I were talking about this earlier this morning. You know, scouts obviously scout defense, but when you have guys at opposite ends of the country, it's, it's a little hard to compare. But I still think that, based on you know the the folks that I talked to in California. Over and is clearly the best defender at a premium up the middle position.
0: All right. We've only gotten out 370 field grades on the draft top prospects list over the past decade. You guys remember any of them? I would need a clue, I think. There there was one over the past, there was one in each of the past two years. Well, outfielders. We didn't
2: give to Max Clark, did we? No. uh, No? Oh, Enrique, Enrique Bradfield got a 70 yep. last year.
0: And then two years ago, I think you should get this one. Uh, very highly ranked, highly drafted. I, I think maybe you're not thinking of him because we haven't seen him all that much. Center field. Drew Jones.
2: Ah, there you go.
0: Yep. And then and the other one, not an outfielder. Not a, not a premium defensive position even.
2: Oh, is it Evan White? Evan White.
0: Those was the only three. All right, let's uh, move to the mound and start with the uh, fastball who owns the hottest heater.
2: A lot of good fastballs in, in this draft, but I think the best one belongs to Brody Brecht, uh, the Iowa right-hander. You know, he matched up with Paul Skeens last year, and he threw 101 against Paul Skeens. Skeens beat him when they played LSU. Um, and his, his fastball slider combination is comparable to Paul Skeens. He doesn't have nearly the polish, which is why we're not talking about him at the very, very top of the draft right now, but he sits at 96 to 99 miles an hour with his heater. And besides the velocity, it's got explosive running action. It's got much better fastball shape than Skeens. He needs command. And what's interesting is Iowa actually as good as Brody Breck's fastball is. And I think it's the best fastball in this draft. Iowa had him throw more sliders than fastballs last year, which didn't really help him improve his well-below-average command of the fastball. But Breck's fa- – like when I was talking before about guys who have really good stuff, he's the extreme stuff-over-polish guy right now. Former wide receiver. He hasn't concentrated on baseball full-time uh, until only recently. And he's got so much upside, um, and he's got the athleticism where you, where you like to think he's going to figure things out.
1: All right. Curveball, Jonathan. One of the things that interests me uh, the most about the sort of top curveballs, there were a lot of high school guys uh, to consider, uh, which I like to see because I feel like baseball's become very slider focused. I mean, people have success with it. You do what success. But so, William Schmidt from Catholic High School, that's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, he had made our uh, top 20 high school list uh, back when we did that. Uh, it's a true 12 to 6. It's one of the best overall breaking balls in the entire class. Uh, I think it's a combination of you know the, the, the spin and the characteristics of it and he can throw it for strikes And you know that's a combination that you don't see very often from anyone, let alone a high schooler Uh, and he's got other, he's other stuff. He's up to 95 with his fastball. Uh, so he's not just a kind of a spin monster, but that curveball really helps set him apart.
2: I'm going to interject with a quick quiz. Are you ready for a quick quiz? Let's do it. Okay. There have been four recent big leaguers who've gone, began their high school, began their careers at Catholic high and went to LSU before they went to the majors Two of them pitchers, two position players. Both of the pitchers were first-round picks at LSU. Can you name either pitcher?
0: You said you said recent?
2: Like, they're, I mean, not, like, in the last 10, 15, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm pulling a guy out from 1957 on you is what I'm trying to say. One of them just signed for a bunch of money as a free agent. Stomped. Has a brother who catches in the big leagues also. Noah. Yep. And then Kurt Ainsworth was the other one. Kurt Ainsworth, the Nola brothers, and Josh Smith are, are have all gone from Catholic High to LSU, which is where William Schmidt's committed. I don't think he's going to necessarily get there to the big leagues. So, there, There's my quick quiz for the day.
0: There you go. Uh, all right, and I'll take uh, Slider. Are we going to have to come up with a, a sweeper? Got a, a grade at some point. Yeah. For now, we have Slider. And uh, the best one in the 2024 draft class belongs to who, Jim? One
2: of one of my favorite prospects, Tyson Neighbors from Kansas State. He's purely a reliever, but he's the best relief prospect in the draft. Had 86 strikeouts in 48 and two-thirds innings last year. He's got – we went 70 slider. He also has 65 fastball, 65 cutter. Like his slider, it's 81 to 84 miles an hour. Two plane depth, high spin rates. Like it's gonna be this is this will be an absurd number. He he had an absurd swing and miss rate on his slider, according to Synergy, our good friends at Synergy last year. Without (laughs) exaggeratedly guessing too high, how high would you think an absurd swing and miss rate would be on a slider? Like forty is really good.
1: Sixty two percent.
0: Jason? I was, I was thinking six low sixties as well. I'll, I'll go over Jonathan and go 63.
2: Well, that was a very good move. Cause his 67% swing and miss rate. That means two out of every three sliders Tyson neighbors threw. And when guys swung, they missed. And he's also got like an upper 80s cutter and he, his fastballs like 93 to 99 with cut and ride and all kinds of induced vertical break. And that might be his third best pitch. So you know, I, I usually like to go with starters for these things. You know, Brody Breck's got a really good slider. Chase Burns, who's, who's moving back in the rotation, has got a good slider. But neighbor's slider, like just watching video of it. <laughs> I was mesmerized on Synergy the other day when I was writing up his report, just looking at guys swing and miss, swing and miss at these sliders that are just like dropping at the plate. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm very excited. I, I'll be curious to see where he goes in the draft. I, we, we say this every year, and it really pans out. But I do think this is the type of guy that you know maybe like you don't like draft relievers too high but like late second round a team that has you know a contender this guy could get to the big leagues really really quick because he throws strikes all three pitches too
0: let's move on to the best changeup in the class
2: and that would be another one of i i think i'm dominating the pitching categories jonathan uh, for whatever reasons we, we 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 split the draft but drew beam from tennessee uh who has a chance? I, I think he's going to wind up going somewhere in the middle of the first round. Um, changeup is probably his best pitch. It's, it's not the sexiest stuff. It's just he has really good control of solid stuff. We, we put a six on the changeup. It's, it's it's his best pitch. It kind of makes everything play up because you can't you try to you know get too aggressive against him or he can make you look really silly. But he just has some of the best feel in this draft, and, and I think the best changeup kind of give him a slight edge over Illinois high school or Ryan Sloan, who also has a pretty good changeup too.
0: All right. And uh, no rest for the weary here, Jim. Best control.
2: <laughs> We're going to go uh, best control. We're going to go with Josh Hartle of Wake Forest. And it'll be interesting. You know, I've talked about you know, Drew Beam as an exception, but I think Hartle's the biggest exception to what I was talking about with Brody Brecht and Chase Burns and some of these guys who have big-time stuff and are trying to figure out uh, the, 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 the pitching aspect of it, Josh Hartle's the opposite. I mean, he was a guy who a lot of teams thought was the best high school lefty in the 2021 draft, but he, he wanted to go to Wake Forest, so he didn't get drafted. Um, All-American last year's Wake finished third at the College World Series. And the stuff's, you know, I, 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 pedestrian's probably a little harsh. You know, he's got a, he's got a plus slider, average fastball, average changeup, solid cutter. But He just has a real easy delivery, and he throws a ton of strikes. You know, moves the ball around. It's not just control; it's command. 140 strikeouts, 24 walks, and 102 innings last year. Um, and he just can really, really pitch. And I, I want to say, Jonathan, I have not committed. Have you? I haven't committed our list to memory. I don't know if you've committed our list to memory either. I think he's our highest ranked pure pitcher because Cagley owns a, a two-way guy on on, a, on the draft top 100. So,
1: No, that, that's right. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting among the, the sort of college arm and you know, pitching in general. You mentioned, uh, you know, Brecht and Burns with the pure stuff. And can they show they can start? When you have a guy like Hartle, it's much more floor. Pretty certain he can start in the big leagues, but he doesn't have that sort of top of the rotation Frontline starter uh, profile. So it's going to be, you know, it'll be an interesting uh, thing to, to watch and, and how those guys are evaluated as the spring season unfolds.
0: All right. Those are the best tools in the 2020, 2024 draft class. The top 100 draft prospects list coming your way. That's dropping on Wednesday night on MLB.com. Check that out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk trades. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Another day
1: is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Bad news. Uh, we're supposed to be joined by Shohei Otani, <laughs> <laughs> at least in our minds.
2: I, I heard. I heard he's on a plane. I, I heard he's on a plane from LA to Toronto, and that's why he can't join us. He can't join us.
0: Could and wouldn't pay for the Wi-Fi to, to join us.
2: He's deferring so much of his money; he can't spend it on frivolous things like Wi-Fi.
0: Well. So instead, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some recent trades, uh, both of which involved the Yankees. Uh, mentioned these earlier. First one, the big Padres-Yankees deal. Juan Soto. Uh, we we're waiting during the winter meetings to see where Soto was going to go. He goes to the Yankees along with Trent Grisham. Um, the return involved a couple of the Padres. Uh, I'm sorry, the Yankees ranked prospects. Drew Thorpe, who was the Yankees' number five prospect, and Randy Vasquez, who was the Yankees' number 13 prospect. Um, Kyle uh, Higashioka, Johnny Brito, and Michael King also involved in the deal. So they get five players um, for Soto and Grisham. What'd you guys think of the return here? Um, only one top 100 prospect in Thorpe I thought it was I thought it was funny that early on the the trade talks between the two teams were deemed dead because uh, the Yankees reportedly said no deal that involved either Thorpe or King would be considered it was a non-starter no go and then the deal ultimately involves both of them
2: yeah I mean look I mean it, it, it's so much of trades depends about timing too. Um, you know, when, when the Nationals traded Juan Soto to the Padres, and the Padres had about two and a half years of control of Juan Soto, they got five highly regarded prospects. You know, the Yankees are making this trade at a time when everybody knew the Padres are trying to get out of their arbitration obligation to Juan Soto, which was going to be thirty million dollars plus. After you know, maxing out their payroll, they are trying to cut back some, and they also need to find a bunch of pitching. So, you know, it it was hard to kind of thread that needle. You you weren't going to get nearly as much talent coming back as they gave up to get him. I mean, I I do think Thorpe's a really interesting pickup. He was our MLB pipeline pitching prospect of the year, led the minors in strikeouts, led the minors in in strikeout minus walk percentage. I was among the minor league leaders in in a whole bunch of categories. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy we could see in the big leagues next year. You know, he, he dominated the minors this year, got to double eight at the end of the year. He's always had very good field of pitch. He's got a well above average changeup. The Yankees helped him upgrade his slider. You know, his fastball is more of a command pitch than a stuff pitch, but you know, he he's the, you know, he's interesting. I mean, I think he's somebody who can help their pitching next year. I know a lot of teams, we're interested in Mike King as kind of a sleeper who could, could be a really effective starter for the Padres next year. So, you know, that, that could be two starters. You know, Brito's a depth arm. is a veteran catcher. And, you know, Randy Vasquez is still a prospect, but he's got big league experience. Kind of on the fence, is he a reliever? Is he a starter? He's more stuff over command, really good breaking stuff, solid fastball, control of command comes and goes a little bit. He's not real big, so he might be more of a reliever. But I mean, this is what the the Padres set out to do. They they had to get rid. They they felt like they had to get rid of Juan Soto's contract. You can debate that whether or not that that was true, but they had to find some pitching and and open up some money for some pitching. And I think they did that with this trade. Like I don't, I don't know how many teams were looking as good as Juan Soto is. We're looking to take on that kind of salary and arbitration. You know he's probably going to enter the free agent market before you know if he's going to re-sign with your team going forward. Um, and the Yankees do a wonderful job of, of developing pitchers, um, and you know usually not super high picks either. Um, and I think the you know the Yankees are Yankees; they can afford Juan Soto even if it's just for a year, and they have the pitching depth to give up.
1: I think there are a couple of things, and a lot of people felt that the Yankees gave up way too much for for this. I, I don't necessarily see it that way even though I tend to just because of what we do I think it's an occupational hazard where you you pause when prospects get traded not that there were that many prospects I think there are a couple things that sort of made me think that this wasn't like that huge of an overpay uh and I'm putting aside the fact that you know Juan Soto's 25 and uh really really good uh And I know it's for one year of control right now. One, you know, Drew Thorpe got shelved at the end of the year. So there's a little concern for me, like, about health. Uh, Now, it's not that I don't think he's a talented pitcher. I think he's likely going to be fine. But I'm sure the physicals all, you know, were were handed over and and things of that nature. But that makes me pause just a, a little bit. And the other arms, like, they're fine. Um, And I know there are a lot of people felt, because the Yankees lost a bunch of arms in the Rule 5, also that suddenly their system is pitching barren. They they always have the ability to go and get pitching when they need to. The other thing that I think comes into play is, is that this gives the Yankees basically a year to convince Juan Soto that New York is where he should stay forever and I'm not saying that they're going to sign him to an extension during the year, but let's say the Yankees go out and have a good year and he loves being in New York and the attention and endorsement possibilities that he wasn't necessarily getting, uh, you know, in San Diego, whatever it may be, uh, they can kind of give him the marketing pitch for the entirety of the season. And I think that gives them uh, an advantage if they decide that they want to sign Juan Soto, long term after this year and and i i i don't want to overstate how important that is but i do think that's something worth paying for uh if that's a road they want to go down
0: that was the big juan soto deal and then the other huge news that uh transpired over the past week was of course the shohei otani signing and that led to another trade that involved the yankees because Uh, The Dodgers needed to clear up a couple 40-man spots. um, And to do so, they traded Jorbit Vivas, infield prospect, and left-hander Victor Gonzalez to the Yankees for Trey Sweeney, who was not on the 40-man roster. Um, So they opened up the space like that. And this was a a pretty interesting deal uh, prospect-wise because you had a couple of infielders, um, Vivas was the Dodgers number 10 prospect. Sweeney was number eight. These are of course on the year end, uh, rankings. So these th- th- rankings would have changed going into next year, but, um, uh, in Sweeney, uh, the Dodgers get Yankees first round pick from 2021 and in Vivas, the, uh, this is a guy who just doesn't swing and miss and, uh, as ranked among uh, MILB leaders and strikeout rate over the past few seasons, both infielders, kind of an interesting deal there. What would you make of it, Jim? Yeah,
2: yeah I, I thought it was Brian Cashman being opportunistic again, like he was with the Juan Soto trade. I, I don't think this is a trade that the Dodgers make if they didn't need a couple 40-man roster spots. Um it, it's not I'm not saying it's one sided, but I just don't think they would have made the trade. You know, Gonzalez, I think, is, is a useful reliever for the Yankees. And I think Vivas has more prospect value than than Trey Sweeney, although he's on the 40 man. And, and that was a liability for the Dodgers. I mean, it, it's kind of a, like a Luis Arias profile. I'm not saying he's going to win a batting title, but it's like extreme contact overpower. Um, there's a little bit of sneaky pop. He might be 10, 12, 15 home run guy. Draw some walks. He's just an okay defender, fringy runner, fringy arm. He's played some third where well, that's a stretch with his arm. Second's his primary position. Um, you know, interesting guy. Like like it's it's it's, it's definitely hit over impact and it, it's kind of a one tool profile. But like you were saying earlier in the podcast, Jason, I mean that that's the tool that often depends on whether you play in the big leagues or how much you play is your ability to hit and he can hit. You know, Sweeney – Sweeney's like, I, I'm not that the Yankees don't have a good development program, but like, I just think of the Dodgers as the best organization in terms of helping players maximize their talent. And I'll be curious to see what they do with Trey Sweeney, who was a first round pick out of Eastern Illinois two years ago. Um, I thought it was more hit than power. It, it's kind of a odd looking swing, um, but he barrels balls. I thought it was hit over power and he's been more power over hit. Um, He's only hit 248 in, in three years in Pro Ball or, or two plus years in Pro Ball, 36 homers in, in 243 games. He's played shortstop. I, I think he's more of a third baseman, maybe a second baseman in the long run. But I'm curious to see if the Dodgers can maybe help him get going a little bit more at the plate and, and find some more upside that, that the Yankees weren't able to do.
1: Jim, Shohei already signed with the Dodgers. You don't have to keep selling.
2: What I don't even need to like, I'm all frazzled now. Uh, oh, so you I got you. The I get, there you go. System. See, right, right over my head. Like it's, I have draft fever, which is wow. both like crickets on that one. <laughs> yeah, draft fever, both carrying me, but then also like, I'm I'm exhausted with draft fever. So I was like, what? I didn't mention Shohei's name. What are you talking about? Like so. Anyway, thank you for explaining the, the the joke. Should not have required explanation. That that's on me.
0: And Jim, you're you're just getting over your uh, the really bad case of Rule Five draft fever that you had last week. So we're gonna take a break, and when we come back. We'll, uh, we'll look at which Rule 5 picks have the best chance to stick in the big leagues, and we'll answer a question from the mailbag that's coming up next on the MLB. Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, John Mayo. I'm Jason Ratliff. Time to talk Rule Five Draft. Uh, that happened last week. Not a whole lot of activity on the major league side. Only ten players taken, uh, the fewest since 2013, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And uh, a lot of activity on the minor league side. 63 players taken uh, but we're going to go through the mlb phase and jim and jonathan out of the 10 players selected are going to choose one each that they think is most likely to stick a very quick rundown uh the a's took right-hander mitch spence from the yankees royals took another yankees right-hander matt Sauer. the rockies took uh Anthony Molina from the Rays. The White Sox took Shane Drohan from the Red Sox. Nasim Nunez, first non-pitcher to go, went to the Nationals from Miami. Cardinals took right-hander Ryan Fernandez from Boston. The Mets took right-hander Justin Slayton. Also, uh, well, they traded him uh, to Boston then, um, immediately after, for Ryan Ammons. Guardians took third baseman Davison De Los Santos, who was the D-backs' number five-ranked prospect. Padres took right-hander Stephen Kolick uh, from Seattle, and the Rangers took right-hander Carson Coleman from the Yankees. Theme there, a lot of right-handers. Uh, picks to click, picks to stick. Uh, what what did we say during the break? Who who do we say is going first here? John, Jim has the first. Oh, pick. you seeding
1: the first pick? Well, it's really we're wow. picking one guy, but
0: <laughs>
2: I don't know. <laughs> serpentine, serpentine. No. Um, <laughs> Who do you guys have me taking in my mock in your mock? Five, I think you tried to tip
0: us off during draft. the break by talking about Carson Coleman. Um, I,
1: no, he said his, his his tease was that we would never predict.
2: No, I said I think it'll surprise you. I didn't say never predict.
1: I him. think you're going to pick Nassim Nunez. You're, you're
2: 100% <laughs> wrong because <laughs> I, after writing about Nassim Nunez on the Marlins list for years, I think he's a wonderful defender and base runner. I do not see how he can hit to stick in the big leagues. But anyway, I, I'm going to take. I
1: tried to pick the most surprising. That, that, you're
2: ahead. right. You, you're right. That was good. I would have, that would, based on my, 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 uh, skepticism about Nassim News' bat, that would have been a huge surprise. Good call. I'm going to go with Ryan Fernandez, who the Cardinals took from the Red Sox. And, you know, he kind of fits a profile of of guys who I think are easier to stick. He's a reliever. He's been in AAA. He actually throws a decent amount of strikes. He got hit at Worcester. He had an issue giving up too many home runs. But, you know, he's got the stuff to to succeed, I think. He he sits in the mid-90s. It's more velocity, the movement. So he's going to have to locate a little bit better, but he's got an upper 80 slider, low 90s cutter. It's power all the way. He throws enough strikes. And so anyway, he, he's my pick to, to stick is Ryan Fernandez with the, the Cardinals. I will, I will go with that reliever.
0: All right. And Jim, who do
1: you have Jonathan taking in your mock?
2: I think he's going to go with Mitch Spence, but we'll see.
1: You are correct. I'm just picking right off the top. Uh, it has as much to do with the A's roster as it does any belief in Mitch Spence. I, I think, by the way, that Mitch Spence is is good. Uh, you know, the stuff is you know average, really, uh, in the end. But he's proven to be very, very durable. Um, you know, led the minor leagues in innings uh, with 163. He did it in AAA. Uh, missed, you know, misses a decent amount of bats of the arms taken. He is the one who I feel has the chance to start uh, and has more of a starting pitching profile. Anyway, I think you could put him in the pen and the stuff might tick up a little bit. Um, you know, I know the Royals said that they may eventually give Matt Sauer a chance to start down the road, maybe kind of like what they did with Brad Keller successfully when they when they took him a few years back. But I think that. If Spence's success and durability in AAA, combined with the A's need for pitching, uh, I think Spence is going to end up in that rotation to start the year. Last year, they took Ryan Nota, and he played pretty much every day. You know, first base, DH, and I think Spence is going to get every opportunity to stick in that rotation over the course of the year, and, and you know, might might surprise some people uh, once you know once given that opportunity. So I thought. You know, he, it's not, you know, like obviously rule five isn't all about ceiling. Matt Sauer might have more ceiling. The pure stuff is better. I think Mitch Spence has a better chance of, of sticking on that staff next All week. right,
0: there you go. Jim and Jonathan's picks to stick. Rule five picks to stick. All right, let's answer a question from the mailbag. This comes from Matthew uh, at Juan was a good boy uh, is his handle on Twitter. Asks, if teams redid last year's draft today, would the first five picks change? And does that mean anything? That's a fun question.
2: I'm going to let Jonathan go first because I tackled this. I did the top 10 picks in a pipeline inbox a couple, uh-huh. six, eight weeks ago. Um, but uh, I, will, I will set it up by, by recapping last year's top five picks. And then, Jonathan, you can take first sure. track at it. You had the Pirates taking Paul Skeen's. Uh, Nationals falling with Dylan Cruz, both out of LSU. The Tigers took high school outfielder Max Clark at three. The Rangers took Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford at four. And then the Twins grabbed Walker Jenkins, high school outfielder, at number five. So that, that was your top five. So, Jonathan, if the draft, if we we're redoing the draft today, and, and I think we should look at it like the team's, you know, the team's making the picks also, not necessarily just you know, straight performance. How would you think the top five picks would play out?
1: Yeah, I think that's what makes it interesting. Uh, I think the top two stay exactly the same. Skeens and crews go one and two. I don't think that changes at all. I think the one place, and this is all with the caveat that you don't want to look too much into what happened in one summer of pro baseball. Uh, I think three is the first spot where you could say you could change things i think if if i were to mix things up i'd go lang white langford three walker jenkins four max clark five that said you know one of the things you have to take into account is the tigers saved a little bit of money on max clark and i'm still a big believer in, in his tools he just didn't have quite as strong a, an overall debut summer i mean Wyatt langford made it up to AAA, and and jenkins hit even when he got to full season ball but uh, they were able to sign kevin mcgonigal and paul wilson for well over slot deals uh largely because and then carson rucker they went over slot with two Uh, that's all in the top four rounds Uh, some of that came because of the money they saved from max clark so i don't know that they would do things differently but if you're looking at how they performed, maybe that's how I would flip them around.
2: That's how I did it as well. And, you know, Wyatt Langford only cost $300,000 more than Max
1: Clark. Right. And maybe he would have They cost, may have been able to do it anyway. He
2: may have cost more had he gone three – as opposed to four, because, you know, the, 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 slots start to drop off. So he had a little less leverage going four versus three, you know, they, they could have taken, I guess, some money savers in rounds nine and 10 and made it work that way maybe. But um, sure. I, I was with you hundred percent like the, the interesting one for me and Jonathan, I mean, and we tend to get, I think relatively a little bit more attached to the guys in our portion of the draft than the guys we aren't talking about all the time. But you repeatedly said last year, you know, why Lankford's really, really good. He might be better than Dylan Cruz, even though Dylan Cruz is a little bit more famous. And you might be right. I mean, the, the fun thing with him is, you know, I think we can see Skeens and Cruz and Lankford all in the big leagues next year. Um, the difference is you know, Lankford will be joining the defending World Series champions. Like, it's a good team. They have less opportunity. Um, and he's really, really good. Uh, you know, he tore up pro ball. Um, I, I, I'm going to have... Once we get done with the draft top one hundred and start thinking about top one hundred and, and team top thirties, I think about when I'm doing the Rangers list. You take Evan Carter, do you take Wyatt Langford? It's a it's it's a it's a tough call. Um, but uh yeah, I mean we may look back and we, when we do this list, I mean if we gotta ask the same question three years from now, Wyatt Langford may be the best player in the draft, which you repeatedly said last year, Jonathan. You were you were I don't know if you were pounding the table, but you were no, drumming no. your fingers I mean, on the table for White. I was,
1: I was strongly suggesting that he's better than people realized, and and, and I think the one thing that, in addition to you pointing out that the Tigers may have been able to do the same kind of, using the the draft uh, bonus pool, uh, even if they took Langford, is that you know the, the Tigers need some help in the big leagues now, and Langford will get there faster. Yep. Uh, I would have said that before we saw what he did, you know. Uh, during his debut, but certainly now, in retrospect, after that first summer, uh, Wyatt Langford could, you know, could be in the Tigers opening day lineup had they gone that route.
0: All right. Uh, we have a uh, late mailbag entry. This comes from Jason R. in Brooklyn, uh, who asks, if teams redid last year's draft today, uh, who who would go? number six or who would you guys take at number six knowing knowing what we know now well jim you did this right
2: oh yeah i guess i did how about that um because i went 10 deep well yeah but i think i factored in teams a little yeah it's there's there's three guys (laughs) there's three guys you could go with here i will accept three answers four i will accept four answers here jonathan do you Um, have um, i I don't think it's as clear cut well, yeah,
0: well, I, I, have Do I have mine set. You just well, asked your question about five seconds. Ago. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, because he I already. I, I don't want you to be swayed <laughs> so, by, um, by Jim's answer.
2: Here. I to well, uh, let Jonathan right. go first. Again. I think it's, it's it, I, while well, I think the first five guys, like we've said a million times, were clearly, yeah, on that's top why I want to know number six. It's, and that's why, and that's why Jason oh, always asking this question. know, it's he's not on X. Um, he's not on X. Like he he sent this question in via snail mail or something. But, uh, um, the, the, it, it's interesting here.
1: Hmm. 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 I think that I might uh say so. The ace took Jacob Wilson six, and I still think that that would be a perfectly acceptable selection. Man, I don't know who else I would put put up there. I mean, Rhett Lauder went seven. Because the thing is, the pitchers. Didn't really pitch much. What Hurston Waldrip? You could put up there, maybe. Um, I'm just doing based. That's solely based on performance. Uh, personally, I take Noble Meyer. Okay, that's what who I. Who was take. ranked
0: wow. number eight in our top
1: 250? Yeah, you know I like the high school arms more than the Jim, I'm going to guess too. I'm nice, going nice. to guess you stick with louder, who was ranked number six.
2: I did just because I think there, there's huge value there It's a high floor guy who can start in the yeah. big leagues very quickly. Like, you know, it, it's tough though because like my, my, the rest of my top ten, I went Kyle Teal, Matt Shaw, Chase Dolander, Aiden Miller, but um, it, it's really muddled.
1: It's a good top after
2: 10. after you get past the first five. Um, there, there's a lot of candidates. That's why I, I thought it was a cool question.
1: You didn't you didn't pick the guy who's already been in the big leagues. I did not. I did not pick Nolan Shanwell. I like Nolan
2: Shanwell, but I, I think there's other, I think other guys are going to have better careers and, and and more value. I think that's,
1: I think that's fair.
0: All right. Good question from Matthew. Thanks very much for sending that. And thanks to everybody. And Jason and R. And Jason R. And Jason and R. That that's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.